are listening to Casual Wednesdays with Doom Rocket, your one-stop shop for comics talk and such. I'm Jared Jones. I am MJ Kramer. This week, we are back with part two of our four-part read-through series of JLA Avengers, or Avengers JLA, depending on who published it that month. Mm -hmm. MJ and I are on issue number two of this four-part superhero crossover bonanza. Had a lot of fun getting into the history of JLA Avengers, how it almost never came to be, how it ultimately came to be, all that fun and details you can find in the first episode of this read-through series. Head over to the Casual Wednesdays archives to check that out. You can also head over to DoomRocket.com and find that episode there. MJ, we had a lot of fun talking about that yeah. that week. That was fun. It's nice to talk about George Perez and his perseverance to get this thing made. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Man was very dedicated to this crossover. Yeah. To the point where he wrote in clauses in his contracts with <laughs> all other publishers. Were the opportunity to arise that he could draw Avengers JLA no matter what his situation was? He was able to drop what he was doing. <laughs> and head right into that project. <laughs> Gotta love that kind of stuff. That's dedication. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As this is a read-through episode of Casual Wednesdays, we have no news, we have no recommendations, all we're doing is reading comics, MJ. Yeah. So what do you say? Do you want to dive right back into JLA Avengers? You just want to pick up where we left off, MJ? That'd be fitting, yeah. And where exactly did we leave off with the last issue of JLA Avengers, MJ? Hmm, I do believe that Thor had just thrown Mjolnir into Superman's face. That's one hell of a way to end an issue (laughs) of a crossover such as this. Imagine having to wait a whole month to pick up the next issue uh-huh. after something like that happening, uh-huh. where the inevitable fight between two factions, I mean, what were they going to do? Get along from the jump? No. That's not how superhero crossovers work. Yeah. Team up is always going to start with a fight before the actual team up occurs. Right. Always. That's just how it goes. And not only that, but the stakes are incredibly high with JLA Avengers. These two teams are being pitted against each other in what is ostensibly an Easter egg hunt. Mm -hmm. They have to find 12 artifacts of power in their respective universes, six on one, six on the other. And the team that gets the most wins, which means the other team, well, they just cause their universe to die. Good job. Well, but the Avengers and the JLA don't really know these stakes yet. Not yet. But we know the stakes, MJ, Mm -hmm. and that's what counts. Before we get into the meat of the issue, would you mind sharing with the readers the creative roster of Avengers JLA issue number two? Absolutely. We've got writing done by Kirk Busiek. We've got the art by George Perez. We've got colors and separations by Tom Smith. And we've got letters by Comicraft. Now, George Perez drawing this, obviously a labor of love, but spare a thought for Tom Smith, who had to, in detail, color every single panel, every single page of this four-part miniseries. It's quite a task, MJ. Every single detailed character who happens to show up in the background. Tom Smith, separating coloring. (laughs) Now, can you imagine having to work on a project like this with two creators like Kurt Busiek and George Perez? Very detail-oriented creators, also huge fans of these. Mm -hmm. If you get one color, one shade wrong, you're going right back to the computer. (laughs) That's all there is to it. That's got to be nerve-wracking. But he was ultimately, obviously, up to the task because this book looks great. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Let's begin with the prologue, MJ. All right. We're back to the early events of issue number one, where the Grandmaster is confronted by Krona. Now, that was the beginning of issue number one, Mm -hmm. and then Krona kind of disappeared for the entire issue. We don't see him again. But here we are back where we began, and here, Krona lays out his not-so-secret origin. (laughs) After all, who hasn't read Crisis on Infinite Earths, eh, AMJ? Uh-huh. And he explains how his seeking of the ultimate truth always brings about the end of whatever universe he happens to be visiting at the time, which the Grandmaster, understandably, does not like. Mm Mm-hmm. 
because that means his universe is in peril. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So Grandmaster offers to introduce Krona to a mysterious entity who lives in the Marvel Universe and has existed since before the Big Bang. Who could that possibly be, MJ? Mm, who survived the Big Bang? Who would that be? Well... I know, and I think a lot of readers and listeners would right. know. But, you know, it's a secret in right. this book. We'll, we'll apparently. unveil it as the story unveils it. That's <laughs> cheating. Well, anyway, this person, whoever they may be, is someone who may have the very knowledge that Krona seeks. But first, the Grandmaster offers to play a game with Krona, and our prologue ends. And instead of Eternity, who was there at the end of the prologue of issue number one, we now see the DC embodiment of an entire universe, the woman Kismet. Mm-hmm. And we get the words once again, once upon a time, there was a universe. Book two, Contest of Champions, MJ. It's pretty fun that the first two books have had titles that are from uh, Marvel continuity. We've got a Contest of Champions for book two, and then book one was A Journey into Mystery. That's right. So, in true superhero crossover fashion, a fight has broken out between the JLA Avengers uh, can we take a minute and talk about the artwork on these pages here? This is the first big fight between the JLA and the Avengers here, and George Perez comes to play. Oh, yeah. He is stretching his very formidable muscles here. Right. Just like double page spreads galore. Everybody fighting. It's like a <laughs> Where's Waldo on crack. You know what I mean? Like, every skirmish has a through line on that image. Like, if you follow Hawkeye's arrow, you know where it hits. If you follow Plastic Man's many splayed limbs, you know who he's reaching for or who he's grabbing. If Iron Man hits somebody with his repulsor blasts, if you follow the blast, you can see who it's all happening on one page. Mm -hmm. It's math, MJ. And there's also tiny little Easter eggs in the background, like there's a building that's Marston Industries. You can see the word broom on one of the right. buildings. Yeah. Little flourishes like that, just to remind you that we're dealing with nerds. Yes. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Throughout the fight, we get little bits like Thor remarking that the JLA are doughty warriors. Mm -hmm. What's doughty? Doughty, you know, like hearty. Yeah. Is that what that means? Yeah, like no. formidable, you know. Well, you take that T out and then they're doughy. Maybe that's so, what he really meant. Maybe that's what he meant. <laughs> uh, Hawkeye fires a boomerang arrow at the Flash. I love this exchange so much. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> he calls the Flash a wizard wannabe because he's like, oh, that's what the JLA remind me of. The Squadron Supreme. Uh -huh. Yeah. The Flash KOs Hawkeye, but not before calling him Purple Arrow. Yep. <laughs> stating that he's had some experience with boomerangs. Yeah. Oh, no, it's great. It's so good. <laughs> and and Hawkeye's all like, oh, man, that would have worked on the wizard. You're not dealing with the wizard anymore, Hawkeye. Sorry, Clint. And then, of course, we get perhaps the biggest bit of fan service in this issue, arguably. As well as the only piece of meta commentary on DC versus Marvel, maybe? Possibly? I don't know about that. I mean, I'm talking about the meeting of Batman and Captain America. Mm -hmm. It was a controversial fight when DC versus Marvel dropped MJ. It was a big argument. People honestly could not come to a consensus as to whether or not Captain America could beat Batman and vice versa. I mean, there was a resolution in terms of voting, but the argument maintains to this day. But I mean, as it has been famously said, the person that wins in a fight like this is whoever the writer wants to win. Exactly. And Kurt Busiek, probably knowing this, decides it's a draw. <laughs> he has both characters size each other up and decide that eh, we're not going to fight each other. Because both of these men are too intelligent for that. Come right. on. But Batman says specifically, we're all just pawns in a larger scheme. So they don't want to interrupt the big ruckus right. that's going on. They want whatever scheme they're pawns in to think that big battles going on, that can be the distraction. And then Cap they can go Cap surreptitiously yeah. get to the bottom of this, right? Captain Bats will, will investigate 
Because one of them, as you know, is a well-renowned detective. That's right. <laughs> and Captain America uh, holds a shield. Captain, okay, Captain America is, you know, he's the leader of the Avengers know, in every sense of the word. And I think this makes sense. And they're also both humanity's best in both of their various universes. Except the ones juiced up on steroids. That's not what the super soldier serum is. That's exactly what it no, is. it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> Another little detail during the fight. Scarlet Witch, like the Flash, cannot tap into her universe-specific chaos magic powers in the DC universe. Like, the Flash cannot tap into the Speed Force in the Marvel universe. But the DCU has sort of a parallel to that. It has its own chaos magic. That they she have is. the Lords of Chaos. Yes. She's able to tap into that magic, which is apparently wilder and more powerful. That's right. And since she's tapped into this chaos magic, she can sense the objects that the Avengers seek in this universe, and she teleports the Avengers, boop, out of the fight, right? Mm -hmm. So the JLA decide it's most important to return to the Marvel Universe to get the objects of power. I mean, if they can't fight, they may as well use the peacetime to their advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Martian Manhunter alerts the JLA reservists all around the world to go to the locations of DC's power objects and protect them from the invader. I mean, the Avengers. <laughs> the invaders are another team, right? So would that make the JLA the defenders? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the Martian Manhunter's coordinating a defense while they leave the universe. Yeah. They can't leave these items unattended, right? <laughs> it's pretty cool to see steel. Uh-huh. Who was a member of the JLA, mm-hmm. I think, up to a certain point. I don't think he was at this point. Well, he's a reservist. Right. He's a reservist. Right, right, right. Satisfied that they're safe, the JLA returned to the Marvel U, where other members of the Avengers, like the Wasp, Yellow Jacket, and Triathlon, monitor them. Now, the first power item that's in contention in this issue, what is it? It is uh, Green Lantern's power battery. That's right. Where would the Avengers find that in the DC universe? Apparently just hanging out of Kyle's apartment. I mean, where would you put it? <laughs> I don't know, some kind of vault that he could only open with his ring. Oh, but then one of his ring was dead. He would have to have some other way to open it. Right. But just hanging out in his apartment seems like not the most secure location to have such a powerful thing. This is Kyle Rayner we're talking about here. This is pre-Ion Kyle Rayner. He doesn't have the sense of responsibility that he has later. You put it in his apartment, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not fine right now because the Avengers found it courtesy of Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye and Iron Man pop in to snag it and Wally West, who's friends with Kyle. And that was a hard-won friendship, by the way. Earlier in this issue, Wally specifically promised to keep Kyle's power battery safe. He's like, yeah. don't worry, man, I got it. I got you. <laughs> of course, the Flash is no match for a juiced-up Iron Man who is now imbued with the power of the Mother Box. Mm-hmm. And, well... And apparently Hawkeye. Yeah, and apparently Hawkeye. And they take the Flash out. And uh, Hawkeye says, not so cocky now, are you, smart mouth? Oh, no. God damn it, Hawkeye, shut up. <laughs> he holds a grudge, that one. And it's here that we find out that the Grandmaster is watching all this take place, and he's keeping a tally. And that tally is going to continue throughout this issue to keep track of who's got what, who's in the lead, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting note about those items of power as they're being found, MJ, is that they disappear. Well, where do they go? Well, apparently the Grandmaster is hoarding them all together. Yeah. But as soon as, you know, we, we get the updated count of who's got how many items, the item disappears. Right. Yeah. And right now it's 1-1. One, one. It's a tie mm-hmm. because the JLA snagged the ultimate nullifier last issue. Mm-hmm. So the JLA are over in the Marvel Universe and Superman's scanning it. And he makes a note to say that the Earth over here is a little smaller than the DCU Earth. Mm-hmm. Less urban sprawl on the American East Coast specifically. By which he's probably referring to the fact that there's no Metropolis or Gotham, but there's right. still New York. Yeah. <laughs> or Bloodhaven. Or Bloodhaven even, yeah. Yeah. 
They just make shit up over at DC. They're like, reality is not good enough for our superheroes. And well, they're probably right. Well, it just makes it seem more allegorical. Yeah. Whereas Marvel wants it to be like, no, this is real life. Right. Which is why their Marvel Universe is shittier. <laughs> Less aspirational. Right. I mean, they talk about it all throughout the first issue. It's like, wow, it's kind of scummy over there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why, because it more accurately reflects our own world. And they even mention it as Superman is doing the scan because they see these like statues of, you know, valiant superheroes, but they're all like graffitied on and broken. And they're yeah. like, well, this is how they think of their superheroes here. Uh. Superman is so salty about it. He really is. <laughs> so there's no Santa Prisca in the Marvel Universe, but there is a Santo Rico where we find the next item of power. Superman and Green Lantern are up against Warbird, Carol Danvers, mm-hmm. and Wonder Man. We'll get back to them in a minute. We bop over to Central City where Quicksilver, who speculates about whether or not he can tap into the Speed Force himself. He doesn't actually do it, though. He just talks a big game. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out about that. And I want to point out real quick, as they're at the Flash Museum, Quicksilver notes yeah. that here in the DCU, heroes are respected. In this world, speedsters get their own museums. He did. And now he gets to actually hang out there. I think yeah. that's really cute. Anyway, Quicksilver teams up with his sister, Scarlet Witch, and they face down Hawkman, Blue Beetle, and Black Canary. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, over in Asgard, we got Wonder Woman showing up with Aquaman. And it's really cool. They mention here, Diana says like, okay, this is really similar getting to Asgard. I just follow the path. And it's very similar to how I get to, to Olympus. <laughs> Yeah, like you're not supposed to know. Only gods know. And she says this to Aquaman, and he kind of takes offense. Oh to yeah, that. He, he, she, she says that it's harder for mortal minds, and he's like, "Mortal minds? Oh come on, get off it, get off it, Arthur." He's a monarch too. He gets it. <laughs> he doesn't get it. Anyway, Wonder Woman and Aquaman in Asgard they fight Hercules and She Hulk. Now the interesting thing about Wonder Woman fighting Hercules is what exactly, MJ? In DCU continuity, and then also in Greek mythology, Hercules. Not a good dude, necessarily. Right. Bad stuff went down between him and Hippolyta. Right. She says, you defiled Hippolyta. She she says that he is a despoiler of Hippolyta. That's and it. Marvel's Hercules is like, I would not use those words myself. But I did have the honor of, bam, Wonder Woman punches him because she's not paying any attention to him. <laughs> she's just mad. There's Hercules. Yeah. She's been hearing about him all her life. And mm-hmm. it's a very long life, by mm-hmm. the way, Wonder Woman's. Yep. So anyway, the fight is, well... Insane mm-hmm. between all three factions. The end results, MJ. The end results end up being three to two in favor of the JLA. Right. They scored the Orb of Ra and the Book of Destiny while the Avengers got the Wand of Watum. Watum. That's right. That's right. Well, meanwhile, at this point, the plot is thickening and Batman and Captain America are going about their little case. They're on the case. Batman takes Cap to the Batcave. That's right. Which is uh, pretty cute. Very, very extraordinary display of trust in Batman. Yes, absolutely. But he also realizes the stakes involved and doesn't have time to stand on ceremony. And he also realizes this is a dude from another universe, so he can't go around telling people in their regular universe where the Batcave is. Captain America is like telling J. Jonah Jameson, hey, I know who Batman is. He's Bruce Wayne. And and Jonah Jameson's like, who the hell's Bruce Wayne? Give me pictures of Spider-Man. Get the hell out of my office. (laughs) Well, anyway, this whole sequence begins with Captain America noting that Batman has also lost a young partner. Delightfully, this was published three years before both Jason Todd and Bucky Barnes came back from the dead. (laughs) That's why I keep thinking that this was like the peak for Cape Comics. Like, this was it before we started digging into the story minds to dredge up old shit instead of coming up with new ones. Well, just before stuff started to get as... Self-referential? I don't know about self-referential. Just like a little bit darker even than it had been. Sure. Yeah. 
Which is saying something, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Modern, modern comics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one cool thing, we do get an appearance from Oracle here. That's right. They're looking for Metron. They're talking about the Grandmaster. And as for Metron, he's currently monitoring Galactus, the destroyer of worlds, who turns out to be the one being who lived from before the Big Bang. Dun, dun, dun. You knew that. I did know that. And honestly, anybody who recently read the Defender series that Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez did... They detail this whole thing, the, the existence that was before our current universe. Galactus lived through it. Yeah. 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 And Galactus not only was there before the Big Bang, he has survived the universe's many cycles of death and rebirth, which is really crazy to think about. And I gotta add, the splash page George Perez draws of here as we see Galactus for the first time, awesome. I mean, go figure, right? Yeah, of course. Anyway. <laughs> So Batman says they'll need a means of traveling between universes. Like, they can't just hop around on their own. They're Batman and Captain America. They don't have shit. And then we get another amazing little cameo right in here. Yeah, this is something. (laughs) This is something. This is really crazy because this is an indicator that this crossover has zero intention of keeping the crossover completely relegated to the Avengers and the JLA. Mm -hmm. Because who pops into the Batcave right at this moment? The ever-loving blue-eyed thing. That's right. (laughs) He's straddling a time bike, which has been customized to jump between dimensions. And he makes a small change joke about the Batcave's giant penny. Yeah, he does. It's pretty great. (laughs) We get to see the Fantastic Four very briefly. Don't get Mm -hmm. to see Johnny too much. He's off in the background. Yeah. But Reed is talking to Cap. And And Sue's right behind him. That's right. Another point of tension is brought up, though, when Batman mentions that Thing has a rough-edged charm, and Cap gets really defensive about that. Was that a knock, he says. Yeah. Ben Grimm may not be sleek and elegant like the heroes over here, mister, but he's one of the finest men I know, and he gets the job done. Damn right, Cap. I want to see a Marvel 2-in-1 with Batman and the Thing teaming up. That'd be something. <laughs> that would be something. Or Brave and the Bold with, you know, Batman. Yeah, and, yeah. You know what I'm saying. Marvel 2 so, and Brave. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Avengers regroup in the Himalayas, where the Scarlet Witch is beginning to deteriorate from all the new chaos magic inside of her. She's not looking good. They're coloring her looking almost like a vampire, like she's white. Yeah. And Iron Man is kind of huddled over here, continuing his fascination with the Mother Box. I think he's addicted. And Quicksilver continues his attempts to tap into the Speed Force. He's not succeeding, but Mm -hmm. he's at least trying. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the JLA reservists are convening at the Watchtower, and Steel has forged a speed battery for the Flash to wear, just in case he needs to jump dimensions, because it's really handy to have a speedster. Mm -hmm. And if the Flash can't speedster over in the Marvel Universe, then what use is he, I ask you? And I want to point out that this is a double-page spread here that does this amazing symmetry between Wanda on one side and Zatanna on the other. And then at the very bottom, it has the two of them mirrored on either side. It looks so cool. And it's laid out in a way that seems like it would be hard to follow the storytelling. So good. But also tip your cap to the letterer because fitting all that into such a very specific layout of panels Mm -hmm. with all the characters stuffed inside, that's not an easy job. Yeah. And this is not the last time this issue we will see George Perez using this sort of symmetry to reflect the DC and the Marvel universes. I just love it so much. So on that page, Zatanna's monitoring the chaos magic and notes that the Lords of Chaos are agitated by Scarlet Witch's very presence, mm-hmm. which indicates her power levels that we're dealing with mm-hmm. here. And everyone's put off by Uatu's continued presence. They don't <laughs> want him there. He's just staring. It's not helpful. Firestorm mentions like, I gotta go to the bathroom, but is that guy gonna be watching me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's creepy. Anyway, both teams are making their next moves, which brings us to round two of this hunt. The pursuit of the objects of power continues, and Batman and Captain America are hot on Metron's tail, which leads them to a dead universe, one that Krona has already destroyed. Mm -hmm. 
Over in Happy Harbor, Thor and the Vision face off with Red Tornado and Firestorm, the latter of whom come out on top with the bell, wheel, and jar, which puts the Avengers deeper into a lead. Uh, but it's pretty fun to have Vision and Red Tornado fighting androids, fighting each other. It's pretty yeah, great. it's pretty neat. <laughs> in Wakanda, Martian Manhunter and Plastic Man face the Wasp and Yellow Jacket, and while the JLA are victorious in this instance, a ringer pops up and snags the Medusa mask, that ringer. What country are they in? They're in Wakanda. Yes. It yeah, would be Black Panther. It's Black Panther, which gives a point over to the Avengers. And I think this is one very glaring thing that would be very different if this was written today. What? Black Panther would be one of the Avengers. Yeah, one of, of the main lineup Avengers that yeah. we would have already seen and been very familiar with. Wouldn't just be some shadowy figure we see on a page. I mean, we know who it is. It's not like it's a mystery throughout. Right. But his appearance would not have been limited to one page in the second issue. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Over in Smallville, Iron Man and Hawkeye face Captain Adam and Green Arrow. Though the contest is reversed, Iron Man takes out Green Arrow. Captain Adam is contained by Hawkeye. The Avengers score the Casket of Ancient Winters, which ties up the match. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about those outcomes, MJ? I mean, it's fine. This is all just like a MacGuffin hunt, like I said in the first episode we did. But the difference in this issue between, you know, just having it be a bunch of action figures being clacked together, there's actually some characterization in this. Like, there's a lot more dialogue, so there's a lot more to get through. But it's really good, meaty dialogue revealing who these characters are. So even if you're more of a DC person who hasn't really read a lot of Marvel or vice versa, Mm -hmm. you get a really good sketch out of all of these characters. You do. It's true. Yeah. Absolutely. It's true. Over on Paradise Island, the Flash and Steel take on the Vision and Quicksilver. Wanda's there, but she's too weakened to fight. The Flash snags victory from Quicksilver's hands, and so the JLA take the lead yet again. And over on the blue area of the moon, that's where Inhumans are, aren't they? Sometimes. Sometimes? Yeah. It's also where Uatu lives, I think? Uatu's on the other moon right now. He's mm, busy that's staring. Right. At that's Firestone right, he's in the other universe. The bathroom. That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, anyway, on the blue area of the moon, Quasar and Spectrum fight Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, and just as the JLA are about to pull out yet again, they're ambushed by a powered-up Iron Man. He is juicing with the mother box. (laughs) It's gross. So the Spear of Destiny belongs to the Avengers, which yet again ties up the game. 5-5. So while this match is even, the two wild cards in this entire fracas, Batman and Captain America, they pop up in the Grandmaster's game room which features elements of both the DC and the Marvel universes, including a Rock'em Sock'em robot set, which features something similar to Celestials. Mm-hmm. Is that what they are? It looks like it. Yeah. There they bump into the Atom, who shows them footage of Superman talking trash about the Marvel universe, noted by Captain America, yeah. and footage of the Grandmaster's pack with Krona. Turns out the JLA are fighting for the Grandmaster, and the Avengers are fighting for Krona, and if the Grandmaster JLA win... Krona stands down, but if Krona and the Avengers win, well, it's not good. No. No, it's not good at all. But we have to pause there because there's something going down over in Apocalypse. You want to go check that out? Well, yes. Okay, so meanwhile, on Of All Places Apocalypse, the JLA and the Avengers, the ones that aren't Batman and Captain America, mind you, Mm -hmm. they're scrambling to find the Soul Gems and run afoul of who else? Darkseid. Which is pretty funny. They come across Darkseid, who Mm -hmm. is... The character that Thanos was the analog of. Yeah. And he's got the Infinity Gauntlet on. (laughs) You know, Thanos these days gets the hard-ass reputation because of Mm -hmm. Infinity War and Endgame. Mm -hmm. Because movies. Yes. And, of course, the Justice League movies didn't turn out the way people wanted them to. So Darkseid is, you know, 
nothing. He's a bunch of nothing. We got we got to think back to the good old days when yeah. he was just riding around his little Thanos copter. <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet, notwithstanding, Dark Side is the heavy. Yeah. If this was not a Krona Easter egg battle, JLA Avengers would be a much different story, and I guarantee you, Dark Side would have something to do with it. Yes, Dark Side is the template. Yeah, yeah. He is the epitome of evil, regardless of universe. Mm-hmm. He is MJ. Yes, he just is. It's spooky that Dark Side. Speaking of which, he's wearing what else, MJ? He's wearing the Infinity Gauntlet. Fortunately, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing with it. And even more fortunately, those gems don't work in the DC Universe because, as we find out, Dasad, Darkseid's little sadomasochistic heathen, is scanning the gauntlet and says the gems won't work, and annoyed, Darkseid tosses it away for the Flash to catch, which gives the JLA yet another win. Mm-hmm. And Darkseid, who's just annoyed by this whole inconvenience, blasts all of them with his Omega Beams and sends them straight to... Somehow the Savage Land? I don't know how he knew about it. <laughs> Maybe the Omega Beams are somehow intercosmetental? Intercosmetental? I, I just made up a word. <laughs> Interuniversal? Thank you. That's much better. Yeah, how does that work? How did the Omega Beams send them to another universe? Maybe the Omega Beams were working with Crona and the Grandmaster. Or maybe Jack Kirby worked in a failsafe or something when he was yeah. working on New Gods. Yeah. So here we are in the Savage Land where the Cosmic Cube is being held currently. Is that where the Cosmic Cube pops up when nobody's got it? Savage Land? I don't know. It's all random. <laughs> Wanda, who is now fully restored back at home, mm-hmm. initiates the next bout. This one is far more intense. The JLA and the Avengers are so close to the end, and the JLA has gotten one over on the Avengers every single time. Everyone's here to fight. Now, this is another instance where Perez utilizes symmetry. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? It's so great. The symmetry isn't like page to page. It's like each page split in half. So we get Thor punching Superman. The next panel is Superman punching Thor. And it just goes on. And it's just such a great reflectiveness between the two. It's to illustrate that they're evenly matched. Yes. In a way. Yes. Although, are they? I would have preferred to see a Thor versus Wonder Woman match. but. Yeah. Again, that's not a thing that was going to happen in this era of superhero comics, which is fine. But man, if that was now, that would definitely be a fight that would have happened. Oh, without a doubt. Because she is the obvious reflection of Thor and the Trinity. There's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. There's Thor, Cap, and Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Batman and Iron Man, Superman and Cap, and Wonder Woman and Thor. But if Superman fought Captain America, that'd be over pretty quick. Well, yeah. But but ideologically, mm-hmm. they are very similar characters. They are, they are the aspiration, you know. But in a winner-take-all scenario, Superman and Thor would have to fight each other because their power levels, while maybe not equal as we find out very shortly, at least Thor can hold his own against Superman. They're definitely very closely matched. But not enough because Superman <laughs> beats Thor. And that shakes the Avengers to the core. They're like, that doesn't happen. Thor doesn't fall. What? Thor swings Mjolnir at him and Superman catches it. You don't fool him twice. Yeah. Fool me once, shame on you. Mm -hmm. Throw that fucking hammer twice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to catch it. (laughs) I'm going to catch it. So the Avengers all team up against Superman. Now that's a thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, Green Lantern uses the Cosmic Cube as a battery in the skirmish. And he gets covered in chrome, which is cool. Yeah. Because he ended up becoming the White Lantern. Much later in Brightest Day or one of the White Lanterns, right? Yeah, but we don't talk about that. I guess not. (laughs) But also, in the midst of this battle between Superman and, like, all of the Avengers, Aquaman brings up this enormous sea monster out of the depths, and George Perez's drawing of it is pretty great. 
Are you familiar with that monster? Is that something you, you've um, seen before? If it's a specific Kirby monster, I don't know which which one it is. Fair but it's, it's a cool looking one either way. They're, they're on the Savage Land. There's a bunch of monsters. Yeah, it looks I gotcha, cool. I got you. I got you. So Quicksilver takes the cube from the Flash, which would make the game even. They would have been tied up again. But Batman shows up and snatches it from Quicksilver while Cap tells the Avengers to stand down, which secures the JLA's victory and Krona's defeat. Now, that should decide the outcome, right? The game should be over, but we know it's not because there are two issues left to this whole thing. And not only that, but there's too much at stake creatively, not in the story, but creatively, Mm -hmm. to tell a story like this. There's too many itches we need to scratch. Mm -hmm. And JLA Avengers is going to do that, just not this issue. Yeah. So Krona and Grandmaster arrive on the Savage Land, but Krona, surprise, surprise, will not accept this outcome. He will not accept defeat. Mm -hmm. And so... Krona blasts the Grandmaster and pulls the knowledge of Galactus out of his mind. Like, why didn't he do that to begin with? I guess he was intrigued by the prospects <laughs> of a game or something. Like, it gets boring jumping from universe to universe and destroying it by the search of the ultimate truth. That must be it. That must be it. I mean, I can't think of any other reason. <laughs> well, anyway, what happens next? You would never guess. I would certainly never guess, but Galactus pops up. Yes, Krona shouts Galactus and... There he is, two panels later. <laughs> you think it would be less easy to get Galactus to show up to your, to your world? Yeah, 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 wouldn't you? Well, anyway, Krona, because he's Krona, decides to attack Galactus. Mm-hmm. He's not going to ask him politely for the ultimate knowledge. Well, I mean, he yells at him to tell him the ultimate knowledge, and Galactus is like, I don't talk to madmen. Yeah. Because that's how Galactus talks. I don't talk to madmen in goatees, is what he should have Seriously? said. Seriously? Is what he should yeah. have said. As Krona's distracted with Galactus, the Grandmaster reveals his secret plan, the gambit he's had all along. And I'm not talking about Remy LeBeau here. He's going to pull all the objects of power that the JLA and the Avengers have spent two issues finding and use all of that power collectively against Krona. Now, this amount of power is too much, MJ. We're talking about the ultimate nullifier, the Green Lantern power battery, the Cosmic Cube. The soul gems. The Wanda Watomb. Whatever that does. <laughs> All these things united, that can't be good. One of those things can destroy a universe. But it looks like it's enough to knock Krona on his butt, mm-hmm. but also maybe everybody else, because we get this image of water swirling down a drain. It's a whirlwind that pulls everyone and everything into a singular point. And it's great as this page goes further down, the color slowly saps out too, as everything is going down this cosmic drain. As these two universes dive into one gigantic big crunch. As for what happens next, well, that'll have to wait. So we get another cliffhanger. Thanks, Busek and Perez. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a burden you must be experiencing right now, MJ. So, (laughs) Avengers JLA issue number two, what'd you think of it? I liked this one so much more than the first one. Well, I mean, it's all one story, MJ. But as far as issue to issue, I really like this one better because it's able to get more into the meat of the characters. Like, Like I said earlier, it's not just clanking your two action figures together. There's actually some substance to it here, and you can actually get to know them and get a sense of what they're like well i feel like you're giving the first issue a bad shake because it did have to set up the whole story the stakes and everything else i it's mean a, that's a lot of stuff that it has to do yes on top of having character moments that's a that's a big ask yes the first issue was getting all of the characters established and just sitting where they need to be and then the second one was able to be like hey this is this is who they are and now let's watch them fight <laughs> we're also getting a lot of setup and payoff here between these two issues because this is basically the first part of a two-part epic mm-hmm. in the first part we have a game 
where the Avengers and the JLA have to play against each other to find Easter eggs, ostensibly. Mm -hmm. But in that creates rivalry between Hawkeye and the Flash, and possibly the most important setup and payoff, Superman learning how to avoid getting hit by a hammer. Yes. There's also setup involving Superman in that he still keeps on shit-talking the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So that's and Captain gotta... America's getting real salty about it. <laughs> but we assume that has to be a setup for, for some ultimate payoff later on. Right. As to what that is, that will have to wait. Mm-hmm. Anything specific that you are looking forward to seeing in JLA Avengers, even though I know you've already read it? Honestly, it's been so long since I read this, I mm. don't remember much of it. So, I mean, it's, I'm reading it pretty much new here. Well, let me take advantage of your amnesia here. Right. Is there anything that you are looking forward to seeing play out in the next issues? Oh, like nothing specific, but I want to see more interplay between Batman and Cap. I want to see some interplay between Cap and Superman. I want to see interplay between Thor and Wonder Woman because they're both mythological characters that I love very much. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. See, DC, Marvel, do you realize how much money you're leaving on the table by not giving MJ what she wants, which is a <laughs> Thor-Wonder Woman crossover book? Do you realize how much money she would spend on that? I mean, can I be specific? I would like it to be a Wonder Woman and Jane Foster Thor crossover book, but that's just me. Yeah. That's a big ask. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to get mad at you for wishful thinking because this is wish fulfillment right here, mm-hmm. JLA Avengers. But I would also like to see some more interesting comparisons between the DCU and the Marvel Universe and kind of some commentary on that. Because I, I appreciate seeing like the Marvel characters being like, oh, this this universe, everybody treats the heroes so well, everybody loves them. And, and vice versa with the DC heroes being like, oh, how gross. <laughs> see, it's weird because in DC versus Marvel, that kind of happens, but they gloss over all. All of it. Like the Baxter building pops up in Metropolis. Nobody seems to mind. Peter Parker's like, oh, I don't work at the Bugle because it's not here. I guess I'll work at the Daily Planet now. (laughs) He just walks in and gets a job. All right. Yeah. And I think Busiek is an excellent enough writer to be able to illustrate depth in that comparison between the two and to be able to have the depth of knowledge to really make a good comparison. Without a doubt. Yeah. What about you? What's something you're looking forward to in the next couple issues? Well, I have this entire series pretty much tattooed in my brain, but I would say... Pretend like you don't. Okay, let's say I've never read it. Yes. If that's the case, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the wider Marvel and DC universes get integrated. Like I said, this is a big itch that needs to be scratched. How are you not going to have more Fantastic Four? Where are the X-Men right now? There's no X-Men except for Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch as of right now. Right. But... Could the X-Men pop up in this crossover? I see no reason why not. I sure hope so, because, like, their end of the Marvel Universe, very popular. Yeah. Very, very popular. Everybody wants to see the X-Men. Exactly right. And, of course, one of the X-Men, Beast, was an Avenger. Yep. So you've got that connectivity right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. MJ, I think that's it. You got anything else to add? Not a thing. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Casual Wednesdays. If you're enjoying these read-through episodes of JLA Avengers, please let us know. Drop us a line, info at doomrocket.com. That's our email address. Or head over to Twitter at Cashweds Podcast. I'm at Jared Jones underscore MJ. Where can they find you? At Molly Jane underscore K. So until the day Thor learns not to smack people in the face with his hammer, I'm Jared. That's MJ over there. And from all of us here at doomrocket.com, have a great new comic book day. At least not Kryptonians. You mean to say that Thor can tell the difference between a Kryptonian and some jerk in a cape? Well, I mean, the point's moot because Thor is also some jerk in a cape. Ah, point taken. (laughs) Point taken.